Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long Jr. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at uh, the end of Mark chapter 11, and then we're going to look at the first part of chapter 12, Mark chapter 11. Oh, that would help. And for junior church, all those in junior church, you may be dismissed. Thank you so much. Okay, let's try it again. Uh, Mark chapter 11, uh, verses 27 and following. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism from John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they were afraid of the people, for they held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving word. Would you pray with me? Father, we are marching as we're going through the Gospel of John to your son's cross Father, it's amazing how John just has this immediately, immediately, he is just moving us step by step, Father. He's hitting the major points along the way, and he's saying that the the ultimate climax is going to be your son hanging on a cross for us, dying for our sins, and then rising again victoriously. I thank you that that is the message of hope. I thank you that that is the message that we desperately need to hear today. But Father, we we recognize this, that that is a message of hope for some, but that is a message of hardness and anger and resentment to others. Maybe there are some that are even listening to my voice this morning that have heard the message of hope over and over again, have not placed their hope in that message or in the person of your son. Maybe there are some today that reject it. Maybe there's some people today that are hardened and blind to it. I pray today by your Holy Spirit that you would open eyes. I pray today that you would soften hearts. I pray today that you would bring people to the life that they desperately need in your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, some people really don't want the truth. Have you ever run into people like that? That you tell them the truth and they don't want to hear it. There are some people that are unresponsive and they are unintentional. They are not receptive to the truth. They just go against it. 
that's almost like, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear. And you, you share truths with them, and it's like they have a tendency not to be um, doubters. Doubters are people that really have a sense of, I just don't understand, can you help me understand? There are other people that are somewhat skeptical, they're just not sure, but then there are other people that are, are cynical. They, they have a sense deep down within them that they know this is not true and they are going to reject it out of hand. That's these religious leaders that we've been seeing. And as we've been going through the, uh, the Gospel of Mark, what we have been finding is that these religious leaders are critically attacking Jesus' authority, Jesus' message, Jesus' method, the man of Jesus. They have been against him over and over again. And what we believe at heart level is this issue of pride. There is a sense within them that the judgments that they are having within are coming from a lack of humility within. They think that they're better than Jesus. They think that their credentials are better than Jesus. They think that their message is better than Jesus's, and they are attacking him out of hand. And they are showing their level of self-righteousness over and over again. What they're doing is showing that they think that they've got it better. And they're judging their lives versus others. We see that through the Gospels over and over again. They are comparing themselves with others. Really at the heart of it is a level of insecurity, which we're going to see, which is interesting. The most critical people in this world tend to be people that are the most insecure within. Because if they really felt secure within, they would be confident and they could speak truth. But that's not what these people do. What these people do is they continue to attack. And we're going to see their insecurity coming out here in just their fear of other people. And they can't speak the truth. What we also see is that there's a level of jealousy with these religious leaders. They they were never brought into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and having people applaud them. They saw Jesus standing and getting applause and acclaim, and they could not stand it. They were the religious leaders. They were the ones that should have been getting this in their minds. And the jealousy that was there, the resentment that was there, is so evident in their lives. They had prejudged Jesus, and they had already prejudged Jesus wrongly. And there was a level of bitterness that was happening within them. I pray that there's no one here that meets up with those standards. But the reality is I've got one finger out, three fingers point back. Many of those characteristics I have seen in my own life at times. Pride, insecurity, doubting, all those type of things causing us to see, not with clear eyes, but see with the heart of rebellion. Well, today I want to talk you through two sections. I read the first section. This is the challenge of the sun. The challenge of the sun. And then we're going to look at a parable. And the parable is going to be the consequences of sin. So let's start with the challenge of the sun. And let's look at here again in Mark chapter 11, verse 27. And it's, they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking with the chief um, among the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Okay, so now what we have is that Jesus has been once again coming into Jerusalem. And we have already heard in our last message that Jesus has cleansed the temple. He has cursed the fig tree. He has received applause and acclaim as he has come into this town. And we're recognizing that we're getting into the climax of Jesus' ministry here. Now this three group, this group of three leaders that we see here, it says here, um, 
It talks about the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. They make up a group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a 70-member ruling council of religious leaders. Now, the chief priests could find their heritage all the way back to Aaron. The scribes were called the experts in the law, and these um, and these elders were lay people, ruling people. Um, so this was a ruling group of people that were coming to Jesus. These were the ones with the big credentials. These are the ones that had the numbers and name, um, sorry, letters after their names. These are the people that you would tend to look to. But people weren't looking to them today. What they were looking to was Jesus Christ as he's coming in town. They were listening to him. And the religious leaders are having a major problem with this. Apparently, this is an official delegation that has come out here, and after Jesus has come into town in this way, after he's cleansed the temple, now they're going to say to him, what in the world do you think you're doing? See, they believe that Jesus is wrong, and throughout the Gospel of Mark, they have been on the heels of Jesus. But at the heart of it, it has been envy and jealousy that has been driving these people. They have attacked Jesus' miracles. They have attacked Jesus' message. They have attacked Jesus as a man over and over again. wonder how many people are like that. They're constantly disputing him. See, there's a significant difference, as I said, about a doubter who's seeking and this critical and cynical person that has made up this religious group. There's a hardness of heart, there's a deafness of ear, there's an unbending will that is apparent in their lives. They want to take down Jesus. They want to eliminate him. Probably because they want to hold on to authority. We see that today in our political arenas, don't we? We have people that are looking to hold on to authority or gain authority, and they'll do almost anything to hold on or to gain that authority. They'll say anything or do anything to grab it. Well, the religious leaders had the authority, and they didn't want to lose it. So they'll do anything to hold on to their power and control. So we see the challenge. Second, I want you to see the charge that they bring. Verse 28. In verse 28, they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you the authority? See, the question of Jesus' authority is seen throughout the Gospel of Mark. We've been seeing this throughout Mark. Authority, authority, authority. Jesus says, I have come here that they need to hear the truth and repent and believe. Jesus had the authority to call people to follow him. Jesus had authority over demons. Jesus had authority over death. Jesus had authority over disease. Jesus had authority over demons over and over again. Jesus could walk on water. Jesus could feed people miraculously from his hands. He had authority. He would speak and things would happen. So we see that throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' authority is seen there amazingly. But there is something that is happening with these blind leaders. Jesus' authority hasn't captured their heart. Hasn't turned them. They haven't humbled themselves before this great authority. What is amazing, as you've seen through the Gospel of Mark, is that the demons themselves shudder before the Lord Jesus Christ. But the religious leaders do not. So, we have Jesus' authority is now being challenged. And Jesus now is saying, 
Jesus now is going to be asked a series of questions. Now watch these two questions. They, they ask the first question and it's like, they're saying, what, what is giving you this authority or by what authority are you doing these things? In essence, the religious leaders, hard-hearted, determined to take Jesus down, are asking him, what is the basis of your authority? What's the basis of it? But then what they do is this. They go even further than that. They go from there to this. They look at the source of Jesus' authority. It's like, who gave you this authority? It's like, what's the basis of your authority and who gave you this authority to do these things? What things? Probably the provocative actions of coming into the town on the donkey and probably cleansing of the temple. Who gave you the authority? I was trying to think, like as a parent. So I'm a parent of three children. And let's say my kids are acting up here at church. And let's say somebody else comes in and disciplines my kid. Would I be happy with that? You said not at all. I probably would say, I mean, I guess I would think, why are my kids messing up? Or I would hope. But no, I would be one saying that I would want to be the one to discipline my own kid. So the religious leaders saw that this temple area was their home. And they were wondering, why did Jesus believe that he had the authority to come in? Who gave you the right to do that? Who gave you this right to come into our home and tell us that we're doing wrong? Because in essence, when Jesus is throwing these people out, he is challenging the authority of their leadership, the religious leadership. So he asked the basis of his authority and the source of his authority. That leads to a counterpunch. Verse 29 through 33. I love it how Jesus does this. Now, we're often told that you're not supposed to answer a question with a question. But sometimes asking a question is really helpful because you are challenging and helping the questioner to get to the heart of the issue. That's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus is not trying to avoid what Jesus says here is this. I've got a question for you. I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism from of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. So Jesus kind of like, wham, hits him with a counterpunch, which is pretty cool. Jesus outwits him, outsmarts them. He outmaneuvers them. How can your human wisdom stand up to the infinite wisdom of God? It can't, but people think it can. They think they can outwit God. They think that they know better than God. We do that every time we sin. Every time we sin, we think we know better than God. That's what these religious leaders are doing. And Jesus brings to them a question about John the Baptist's authority. Why John the Baptist? We'll get to that in a moment. So John the Baptist's authority, and it talks here about John's baptism. Now, when he talks about baptism here, he's probably talking about John's complete ministry, his earthly ministry. So when he says that, he is talking about the ministry of God. And what was John's ministry? John's ministry was this, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, there is someone that is coming, the Lamb of God is coming. That was his message. And so what Jesus is asking is this, is that message given to John from heaven, heavenly authority, or is it human authority? 
they all knew John the Baptist. They had already heard the stories. And if you don't know about John the Baptist, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was one of the priests. He had gone in and performed a sacrifice and performed his ministry. And at that moment, an angel came to him and told him that his wife, who had been barren for years, was going to give birth to a son. And that, that he comes out of that temple worship and he can't speak. And then his wife gets pregnant and she, in her old age, gives birth to a child. And then immediately at his birth, now his mouth is loosened and his, his name is John and he praises God. And that John is going to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to be called from the very womb to the ministry of God. This is John who was given that ministry and goes out and preaches about forgiveness and repentance and baptism. That is John. They knew him. And now it's maybe been a year, maybe two years since John the Baptist has been executed. They knew him. And Jesus now challenges them. Whose authority did John come by? See, Jesus and John the Baptist are inextricably linked. Because Jesus Christ was baptized by the Lord, uh, by G, uh, John the Baptist. Jesus Christ was called to be the fore, John, John the Baptist was called to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they are inextricably linked. Not only are they cousins, but their ministries are linked. So if you hold fast to the authority of one, the other authority of the other is there as well. And religious leaders had come to challenge Jesus' authority and Jesus amazingly, does something here. He repeats the phrase, answer me. Watch it here. He says, I will ask you a question, answer me, verse 29. I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. It's amazing. They're coming to him and asking him about his authority, but he is showing authority right now. I'm telling you, You answer me. Now it moves to their calculation. They kind of go back and they say, I don't know what to do. Verse 31. And they discussed it with one another and they say, if if we say from heaven, then he will say, why didn't you believe him? And if we say from men, we're afraid of the people for they hold John was a prophet. Jesus creates a major dilemma for them. He backs them into a corner. John the Baptist was highly regarded as a prophet of God. And as that prophet of God, his reputation was that he was brought here by God. And his reputation was even more enhanced because he was martyred for his faith. And now it's John the Baptist that Jesus has led them to. And they have to make this decision. So, what do they do? Okay, so now if we agree with John the Baptist, Jesus is going to say, you should have followed him, and if you follow him, you should follow me. Because human uh, divine authority has led to John the Baptist, John the Baptist led to me, so therefore you should submit to me. That's the problem. Now, if they reject John the Baptist, the problem is, is that if we reject John the Baptist, the people around him love John the Baptist, and now we're in trouble. Because their hope is not to get to the truth, their hope is to hold on to what? Power. So, 
They do the uh, amazing thing of compromise. Watch what they say here. They start to scramble. They don't know what to do. They huddle together, and now they come, and Jesus put them on the spot, and now they compromise, and they say this. So they answer Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's amazing that these are the highest religious leaders in the land, and they say that they don't know. They claim ignorance. They would rather be humiliated by the question rather than submit humbly to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they cannot discern whether John the Baptist was from heaven or not, they cannot really discern truth at all. One commentator put it this way, their pride and their self-interest outweighs their submission to the will of God. If they will not answer Jesus' question, he will not answer theirs. This is more than just tit for tat. Their refusal to answer is essentially saying that if they have no discernment in the ways of God with reference to John, they have no authority or ability to judge Jesus either. So there is no answer for them. The challenge of the son now leads to the consequence of sin. Look here in verse chapter 12, verse 1. And he began to speak in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for a wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went in another country. Now, Jesus has just outwitted them in their questioning. They came at him with two questions. He is now going to outwit them and silence them. So now what does he do? He challenges. He goes on the offense. Jesus challenges them. No more playing around here. Jesus hits them with a parable about who the real caretaker is of of this nation. This parable, if you get some time this afternoon, look at Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 will kind of lay out some of this parable. And it's taken from Isaiah's song on the vineyard. Now I want you to see just the different people as we look at the scene here. The father is going to represent, or the owner is going to represent the Father, God. The servants are going to represent the prophets. Those servants that are going to come are going to represent the prophets. The tenant workers that are going to attack these servants are going to represent these religious leaders. And the vineyard is going to represent Israel itself. Oh, I've forgotten one major character. The son is going to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. So watch this. So he began, and he said to parable, man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit, a wine press, built a tower, leased it to the tenants, and they went to another country. Let me tell you this before I move on. So what would happen is this. If I had a piece of land that I wanted somebody to take care of, one of the ways that I would do is I would get servants to take care of, tenant workers to take care of this. They would harvest, the, they would work the ground, harvest the land, I would receive increase. Once a year, I would need to come and to receive money. I would have to receive from the land there. That was the way that they would pay for me to keep the land. If I did not come to receive my produce from the land, they could, in essence, take over the land. So I need to receive the produce from the land. That is the way that you're going to pay to stay on my farm. You're going to continue to work it, get some benefits. I'm going to get a benefit once a year. Great. All right. So, vineyard, workers, person is going to come. Verse 2. Now we go to the problem. 
when the season came, his servants, uh, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Okay, so now what do they do? They're not going to bring back. He's not going to bring back anything from the crop. They're going to beat this man and send him away empty-handed. Next, verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 4. And again, he sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. Not only did they beat him, but now they're treating him shamefully. It's getting, it's ramping up. Verse 5, he sent another, and they killed him. See, it's not enough that I beat him, and not enough that I shame him. Now the next one, I am going to kill him. I'm going to remove him. And so with many others, some they beat, Some they killed. And the owner, verse 6, said, I still have my beloved son. My beloved son. He says, I will send him. They will respect him. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. That's a problem. What Jesus is saying is this, that these these vineyard workers, these tenant workers, have been receiving people, servants that have been coming. And instead of giving their rightful due to these servants, what they are doing is they are mistreating them, devaluing them, hurting them, shaming them. He took the first one, took him and beat him and sent him away. The second one, he um, struck him and shamefully treated him. The third one, he killed. And then the beloved son... He took, he killed, they threw out. Humanity, like it or not, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, is a natural enemy of God. We hate him, and we do not want to submit to him. We do not want to submit to his authority. We do not want to give him his praise or his glory. We want to attack. Some of the attack is overt and very obvious. Some people that you know hate God and they will tell you right to your face. Others seem so hypocritical that they love God, but they hate him nonetheless. And it will be very clear in their actions that they will try to hold on to their power and authority by attacking other people. Jesus gives him a parable, then he talks about the story, the uh, the problem, and then he gives him a picture, verses 9 through 11. Watch this question, because this is a pivotal question. What will the owner of the vineyard do? This is a significant question for every single person in this room. What will the owner of the vineyard do? So who's the owner of the vineyard? We've already said it is who? God. What will God do to those that continue to mistreat his son? Okay, let's keep going. He said, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to another. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. Is it not marvelous in your eyes? 
What a beautiful picture of the judgment of God, but then yet the grace of God. God's judgment is there that every single person in this room will stand before God and have to give an account. God has laid out truth before you over and over and over again. Will you submit to it? Will you believe on the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? God is so gracious to you as well, over and over again. He has been showing you, just like these religious leaders saw the miracles, heard the messages, saw these things that Jesus had done, and they refused to submit to him. I pray today that uh, you would recognize that um, God is being very gracious to you. You know, when you think about our nation, with all the craziness that goes on here. What other nation in this world gives you the privilege to sit in a church service without fear of reprisal? Just above us in Canada, a pastor has been jailed, shackled, refused bail because he's preaching and kept his church open. There are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that are dying today for their faith. There are people that do not have the privilege of opening God's word. They don't have the privilege of hearing and downloading podcasts and listening to sermons. They are dying today for their faith. You have been given privilege after privilege, just like the nation of Israel have been given blessing after blessing. The nation of Israel was, was God's covenant people. He had given them the law. He had walked with them. He had put his Shekinah glory with them. He had tabernacled with them, and they refused to trust him. And these religious leaders have been given privilege after privilege after privilege, and they refused to submit. So Jesus gave them a parable. He talked about the problem. He gave them the picture. The picture is not of a vineyard, not of tenant workers, but the son, a father, and those who have rejected the servants that had come before the son. We finally end with a plot. Verse 12. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. Once again, you're talked about, you remember I talked about insecurity is often at the heart of people's judgments. Here's the insecurity again. They are afraid to talk about John the Baptist. Now they're afraid here. Fear of the people. They perceived that he had told the parable against them. Duh. Of course he did. So they left him. They went away. What cowards. The truth is standing before them. And instead of humbling themselves before the truth, what did they, what did they do? They ran. Okay, let me try to bring some of the points together as we close. I want you to think about this. Matthew chapter 28, a powerful passage. If you don't know this passage, memorize it. All authority has given to what? Jesus. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And what he's saying is this, every knee, scripture will say, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. He has been showing you through this gospel of Mark in the fact that he calls people. He has been showing you in his power over demons and death and disease. He has been showing you that he is the only authority. 
He said in his ministry, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. All authority is given to Jesus. He holds it in the palm of his hands. He came here first as the gracious Savior. When he returns, he comes as a judge. I want you to know that Jesus' authority is divine authority. Jesus has the authority of God because he is God. Truly God and truly man, he is God. All authority is given to him. Jesus' authority came through his teaching. I pray that you have been going back and listening to our messages and, and spending time in the Gospel of Mark over and over again. You should be hearing through these teachings about the authority of God, that Jesus, yes, did some miraculous things, but he always did the miracles to authenticate the message. And his message is, repent, turn to me, receive life. Jesus' authority is a divine authority. Jesus' authority comes through his message, but Jesus has the authority to do probably the biggest thing that you and I need. He has the authority to forgive your sins. You remember they, they challenged, the religious leaders said, who do you think you are forgiving people's sins? The greatest problem that every person I see today is sin. It's not the person sitting next to you. It's not your greatest problem. It's not your past. It's not your future. It's not your present. The greatest problem that humanity has is their sin. And they need a savior to forgive them and to free them. And Jesus has come to do that for you. So not only does Jesus have authority of over all authority, not only does Jesus have authority in his teaching, Jesus has the authority to deal with your greatest problem. Will you see him as your savior today? Will you trust in him? Or will you be like these um, blind leaders who are hard-hearted, who um, are only worried about credentials, who are really not worried about change. One last thing I want you to consider is this. I find it interesting that it's not religion alone that changes people's lives. It's not knowing the Bible. These religious leaders knew the Bible. I think, if I'm right, Pastor Doug could probably tell us more, but I think they spent 12 to 16 hours a day doing religious things, spiritual things. So they knew the scriptures. They had memorized massive portions of the Old Testament. They had done religious type activities over and over again. But it had not changed their heart. Transformation is not from the outside in, but it is from the inside out. So I pray today that the Holy Spirit opens hearts to see your greatest need and to see the only Savior that can rescue you. And if you've been holding on in bitterness or resentment or anger, and I will not bend my knee, I pray today is the day that you will humble yourself and say, I I bend my knee to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
I want to, like Mary, sit at your feet and learn from you because I trust you. I stopped trusting myself. I stopped trusting my wisdom. I stopped trusting the outwitting you. I trust in your infinite mercy. I trust in your power. I trust in your wisdom. I trust in your love alone. Would you pray with me? Father, it's um, it's so interesting that uh, we've been given privilege after privilege, kind of like the nation of Israel. Father, as I've been reading through the Old Testament, you know, um, Father, I, I see how many times you're so gracious to them, whether it's manna in the desert or rescuing them from uh, bondage in Egypt or taking them through the promise, uh, through the wilderness, taking them to the promised land, feeding them with manna, giving them water, rescuing them from the Red Sea, giving them the prophets, giving them the word. You have been so gracious to that people. And many of them just turn their backs on, on you. And Father, I think of my own country and my own people how how blessed are we? We've been blessed to be a blessing, but f- far too often we have been blessed and we've used those blessings to hurt and harm. The idolatry that is so heavy in our country, the injustice that is so heavy in our country is because we have missed you. We've missed your son. So I pray today, Father, that um, we would recognize that we don't have authority. We submit to your son's authority. I pray that instead of trying to outwit him, that we would listen to him. Instead of trying to run away from him and counter him, I pray that we would submit to him and turn to him. I pray that um, we would be a fruitful vineyard. I pray that the chapel at Warren Valley would be a fruitful vineyard for you, producing fruit over and over and over again in our lives, in our families, out of this church and into the community for your glory for your honor, for your majesty, because you alone deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in our benediction? Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and dominion for all time, now and forevermore. Be blessed. Have a great day. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long, Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.